Appreciate you coming back. It's been a blessing already to be here this week, and I thank you, Pastor, again for the opportunity. He doesn't, you know, just because I'm his dad, he shouldn't feel obligated to have me in here. And I know he doesn't. (laughs) Hey, I know him. You think you know him. I know him. He lived at my house for 22 years, ate my groceries, and I know him. But I do appreciate the opportunity. But it's kind of intimidating for me. And I mean that. It's intimidating because even though he is a good bit younger than I am, he's 23 years my junior, and I do have uh, several years more experience preaching than he does, he's still a whole lot smarter than I am. He has a better vocabulary than I do. And he knows how to string words together. I'm doing good to hang a verb and a, and a noun in the same sentence and get it out. And uh, I praise the Lord for what he's done with my son. And uh, I'm, an, I'm honored. I really am honored to be in this place. Well, you didn't come to be part of a mutual admiration society, did you? So let's take our Bibles and turn to Acts 9. Somebody said there's having barbecued tacos up the road. We've got to get done real quick so we can get over there, okay? I think they quit serving at 8, so that means i got five minutes preached. We've got to roll. Who's going? Just me? All right, then. You miss out, huh? Whatever you got to do. If you can live without it, I can live with it. All right. I will try to preach not as long as I did last night. But I can't make any promises. Acts chapter 9, verse 1. And I want to read several verses, so let's listen to what happens here. You know this, Acts 9, verse 1. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound Unto Jerusalem, this way, the way of Christ. And as he journeyed, verse 3, he came near Damascus. And suddenly there shined around about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth. And he heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I'm Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. Drop down to verse 10. And there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, Arise, and go out into the street which is called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas, for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he prayeth. And he hath seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in, and putting his hand on him, that he might receive his sight. Now imagine if you had been Ananias. And Ananias said, I think you got the wrong address, Lord. No. Ananias said, Lord, I've heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to the saints at Jerusalem. And here he hath authority from the chief priests to bind all that call on thy name. But the Lord said unto him, Go. Watch this. For he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will shew him. How great things he must suffer for my name's sake. Every time I read the account of Paul's conversion in Acts 9, I don't know about you, but I stand amazed at the awesome grace of God. I see how God takes a hard religious man like Saul of Tarsus, how God saves him from his religion and from his sin. And how God transforms him into a mighty apostle for the glory of God. And when I read about Saul's conversion, 
I'm reminded again that there is hope for people like you and me. Because, you know, Saul of Tarsus, he was not a person most people would have identified as a candidate for useful service to the Lord Jesus. I mean, after all, Christians were afraid of him. We read that in our text. He did everything he could within his power to destroy Christianity. He wanted to wipe out the name of Jesus. He wanted to eliminate those who believed the gospel. He wanted to dismantle and demolish the faith and theology who believed the, those who believed Jesus was the Son of God and the Savior of the human race. But in spite of his hatred of Christ, in spite of his hatred for the gospel and Christianity, God still reached down in grace and redeemed Saul of Tarsus from his sin. God took him as he was, changed him by his power, gave him a new name, and used him to literally change the world. God used this man to write 13 books of the New Testament. 14 if you give him Hebrews, which I do most days. God used Paul to preach the gospel on three continents. He was a missionary. He was an evangelist. He was a personal witness. He was a church planter. He was a pastor, a prisoner for Christ. He was a theologian, and he was ultimately a martyr. And every conversion, I guess you'd agree with me, is... A miracle of God's grace. And it is a, it is of supreme value in the work of God's kingdom. And while all conversions are a blessing, some, however, are more fruitful than others, right? In Paul's case, God used him in such a great way that his ministry is still bearing fruit today. I mean, my goodness, here we are. 2,000 years later. And what are we doing? We are talking about Paul. Probably at some point during your life, every day or at least every couple days, you find yourself in one of the Pauline epistles and you read something. A man who died 2,000 years ago was used of God to write. And how true it is, Hebrews 11:4, that he being dead still speaks. That wasn't about Paul, but it does pertain to him as well. He still speaks. God's still using him. I would imagine that after I'm dead and gone, then uh, my name will soon be forgotten. Yeah. And probably the same is true of most of you. But while we are here, can God use us? Can God do anything with our lives? Sometimes we look at people like Paul or John or Peter or James or whoever, and we see these great men in the Bible, these great women there, and we think, you know, they're some kind of super saints, and we could never measure up to their quality, and we often feel inferior and unworthy, and we feel like God cannot use us in His work. But I want to tell you, Jesus can use you, and Jesus will use you, If you will make yourself available to him. And here's the secret. Paul put his robe on the same way you do. Ain't no difference. When God saves a soul, he takes the redeemed saint of God and he sets them apart for his use. He sanctifies them. He changes them. And he puts them to work. When you and I were saved, listen, we became His possession, right? We're bought with a price. We became His temple. The Holy Spirit moved into us. The Bible says He washed us, He sanctified us, and He justified us. When the Lord saved us, Peter said, we became His peculiar possession. We are a peculiar people. That doesn't mean you're weird. Though I hate to break it to you, you are. 
The only person in this world who I know is not weird is me. And you feel the same way, don't you? Everybody but you is a weirdo. That just means we're all weird. What that means is we are God's personal possession. It means we are uniquely His, chosen by Him, and placed in His family. And God has a unique mission and ministry for each one of us. So what I want to do is walk through what God did in Paul's life. Because for God to use Paul, some obstacles had to be overcome. And I want to point out the obstacles God overcame in Paul's life and let you know that just as God overcame the obstacles to use him, God can overcome the obstacles in your life, and he can use you too. So I want to preach around the question tonight, can God really use someone like me? And the short answer is, yes, God can. We should probably just have a song right there. That's the answer. Let me show you how I arrive at that. So, the first obstacle Paul had to overcome to be used by God was his sin. And so the first point I want to make is the grace of God is greater than our sin. According to Paul's own testimony, in Acts 22.4, he persecuted Christians unto their death. He bound them. He delivered them, men and women, into prison. He did everything in his power to destroy the name of Christ. He talked about in Acts 26 how he shut them up in the prison. And when they were put to death, he said, I lifted up my voice against them. In 1 Timothy, as he testifies through the words of that book, he said he was a blasphemer and a persecutor. And injurious. He was a murderer. And he was a rebel against the Lord Jesus Christ. Which is why he said he was the chief of sinners. But did you know, religiously speaking, Paul was a man to be envied. You read his religious credentials in Philippians chapter 3. He said he was circumcised the eighth day. He was of the stock of Israel. He was of the tribe of Benjamin. He was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He said, touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Paul said, I was as good a little Jew as you could be. I got everything just right. Yet in his lost condition, Paul was as wicked as any man who has ever walked on this planet. He had much in his favor in a religious sense. But until he met Jesus, old Saul of Tarsus was dead in trespasses and sins. And for God to use him, that sin had to be overcome. Now, he was a wicked man, not religiously, but spiritually. His heart was full of hate. He he denied God's Son. He rejected God's gospel. And Paul was a man who was guilty of blasphemy. But his sin proved to be no hindrance or obstacle to the grace of God. And when God saved him, he was changed forever. What about you? I want you to understand something this evening. Your past is no obstacle to your future in the Lord's work. Regardless of who you are, where you have been, what you have done, before you receive Jesus, none of that matters anymore. When the blessed Lamb of God was nailed to the cross at Calvary, I don't know how it took place, 
But God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us on that cross. Somehow God transferred our sin into the body of his son. And God poured out his wrath on Jesus and extinguished his awesome a hatred against sin in the body of Christ. And when you come to Jesus, thank God, your past is washed away. You are made clean and a new start is given to you. And that's one reason the Bible refers to it as a new birth. Now, you do know there are plenty of records of your sin, right? You do know that, right? Oh, yeah. I got one I carry right here. I can remember being places and doing things and experiencing stuff, and I wish I could erase the tape. It's really weird because some days I cannot remember what I had for dinner the night before. But I can remember the meanness I got into nearly 40 years ago. Tell me why that is. The tape will not erase. One day, I'm afraid I'm going to be in an old folk home somewhere, and the only thing I can talk about is all the junk I did before I met Jesus. Because that's all I'm going to remember. Can't erase the tape. I run into people I used to know back then, and they still remember my nickname, and I ain't going to tell you what it was. It ain't bad, but you don't need to know it. <laughs> and they call me that, and I'm like, who are you talking about? Don't you remember when? Oh, I remember. Shut up. I'm not that guy anymore. They remember. My family remembers. My grandmother, who died in 1988, she was dying of cancer. And the last words my loving, sweet grandmother said to me was, you were the meanest grandmother I had. Appreciate that. <laughs> Satan has a record too. And he never ever hesitates to throw up our past. But even though I may remember, my friends and family may remember, and even though the devil may remember and remind me, God in heaven does not remember my sin. God has not lost his mind. He has not gone deaf. God does not have dementia or Alzheimer's. But he has made a sovereign choice to remember my sin no more. And I'll tell you why. Because he put them on his son. And he judged Jesus as if he were me. And now my sins have been removed as far as the east is from the west. They are behind his back in the depths of the sea. They are Gone, gone, gone. I say hallelujah. And if you are saved this evening, God sees us as we are positionally in Christ. He has washed us, sanctified us, and He has justified us, declared us to be right in His eyes. And nothing will ever change his mind. Hallelujah. That about make a Baptist shout, glory to God. I bless his name that God can use us in spite of the obstacle of our sin. Think about Simon Peter. He preached his greatest sermon and had his greatest ministry after he denied the Lord. Moses was a murderer and a liar and a coward, a chicken. And yet God used him. Samson sinned against God. And yet in his death he killed more Philistines than he did in his entire life. Abraham was a liar and a fraidy cat. But you know what God did? He used him. Jacob was a deceiver. But the Lord transformed him. I'm just trying to tell you. You are a sinner. I am a sinner. That's life. I don't like it. I wish I could stop it. I don't want to do it. Sometimes it happens and you don't realize you did it. Hello? 
You know, them sins of commission, them's the ones you choose to do. The sins of omission, them's the ones where you don't do what you're supposed to be doing. And sometimes you commit them a whole lot, and sometimes you commit this one over here a lot, too. We went down to Birmingham to eat today on the other side of Birmingham. And Amy was driving. And she did good. She did real good. And I was over there silently thanking the Lord that I wasn't driving because I'd be in a sinning. And I'd have to come in here and preach to y'all tonight. I have a, can I make a confession? I suffer from road rage. It ain't pretty. It's an ugly thing. But even though we fail God and we mess up, I could tell you stories about that. God still uses us. His grace is greater than our sin. I mean, think about this. If everything that had ever happened in the life of these singers tonight, and they did a great job, and these musicians, and the other men who preached, Brother Kitchens and Brother Dula, I mean, if listen, if their entire lives were bared to you before they got up to preach, you would not want to hear them speak, would you? But if we had to see all of yours, it'd make us preach harder because we know you need to get right with God. We're all sinners, but God's grace is greater than our sin. Number two, we see that from our text. But also we see that God's grace is greater than our situations in life. Look at what Paul's doing. I meant to draw your attention to verse 1. Look at verse 2. And desired of him, the high priest, letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, where they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. Now, what's he doing? Am I doing that? What causes that? So Paul was on his way to arrest Christians and take them in and have them put into prison. And he hated Christ. He hated the gospel. And he would have loved nothing more than to shut down Christianity. Right? But God was still able, in spite of the situation in which he was in, use him for the glory of God. And I want to give you some encouragement tonight. God can take you with all the baggage you carry. And God can use you. Let's talk about that. And I'll make some more confessions along the way. Everybody here. Brings many liabilities to the table. Some here have a wretched past. You did things in your past that you pray nobody who knows you will ever find out. Some here lack education. You think you can't serve God. Some have few resources. You can't give like some folks and you feel like that hinders you. Some are weak in their faith. Some people are timid and afraid. Some are immature. Others are arrogant and filled with pride. Some are trapped in situations that make them seem unfit to be candidates for God's use. But the Lord is able to take us where we are, even with what we perceive to be a liability and a limitation, and God is able to use us. There's great proof of this in the Bible. Paul's one example. What about Moses? He's 80 years old when God calls him into ministry. He had other problems as well. He had a speech impediment. He was filled with fear. He was opposed to God's plan for his life. Say amen right there. Yet despite all of that baggage, God used him. 
What about that Gadarene demoniac? Possessed with a legion of demons and everybody was afraid of him. But one day Jesus showed up, cast the legion out of him, and he changed that old boy. And he said to Jesus, I'm going to go you. Jesus said, no, you can't go with me. You go back home and tell them what I did for you. Could you imagine that? Here's a guy, and everybody recognized him. But they notice he's not screaming anymore. He's got clothes on. He acts like he's in a good mind. And he's telling them about Jesus. God used him in spite of his liabilities. What about that? Listen, your present circumstances did not catch God by surprise. He knows everything there is to know about you. He knows your past. He knows where you are in life right now. And He still can use you if you will yield it all to Him. I think the secret of being used of God really rests on two main principles. One of them comes out of Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And another one is to be faithful where you are. The Bible talks about a time when God will say, Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I'll make thee ruler over many things. You say, well, I can't do it like somebody else. That's okay. God didn't want you to. If he'd have wanted two of them, he'd have made two of them. He didn't want two of them because he's got his hands full with them anyway. He wants to make one of you to compliment them in a different way. God wants you to be you. And he called you knowing all the liabilities you bring to the table. And we're going to talk more about that in just a second. But it doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter what you face. It doesn't matter what kind of limitations you deal with. It doesn't matter what kind of baggage you carry. The Lord can and will use you if you will yield your life to Him. If you will like do like Isaiah and say, Lord, here I am. Send me. He will. So God's greater than our sin. And God's grace is greater than our situation. But if you'll notice in verses 11 through 16, I won't read all this again for sake of time. But God's grace is greater than our shortcomings. You see, Christians in the early church feared Saul of Tarsus. And his conversion was seen as a ruse by many believers. They believed that perhaps Saul of Tarsus was just trying to find them and take them them and their leaders into captivity. And when Paul went down to Jerusalem to meet the apostles, Barnabas had to go with him to vouch for him before they would even see him because they were afraid of him. He was a bad dude. I mean, Peter walked on water. He'd cast out devils. He was afraid of one little old Pharisee. That's what it was. And Barnabas had to go say, guys, he's the real deal. But if you take the time to look at Paul's life, you might find some consolation in the fact that he was a man with many personal characteristics which seemed to be unfavorable to his success. Let me give you a couple. 2 Corinthians 10.10. The Bible says, for his letters they say, are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech contemptible. Second Corinthians eleven six talks about him being rude in speech. Galatians chapter four verse thirteen talks about him ministering in the infirmity of his flesh. Galatians six eleven talks about him having to write with such large letters. It may be that Paul was plagued by bad eyesight. And he was not an eloquent speaker. They said his bodily presence is well. And his speech is like. To translate that. They said now we love to read Paul. 
But that dude's ugly and he can't preach. That's what they said about him. Yet God was able to use him in spite of those issues. That's why if you get into the business of comparing yourselves with others, you're in for a rough ride. Brother, listen, everybody can't be as good looking as you and me. I mean, it's a burden we carry. Am I right? Yes, sir. He knows what I'm talking about. He knows. I, I can identify the others around me who got that special touch. But we've all, listen, if you compare yourself with other people, you are going to be upset. Because many of us feel like we have personal characteristics which hinder us in the Lord's work. But God can take what we view as a liability and God can turn it into a strength. Jesse and Amy can testify to this. I'm fairly introverted. Would you agree with that? Until I get to preaching. Then my introversion gets introverted and extroversion pops out. I don't understand that. I guess I'm an extroverted introvert. But I got issues. How about you? Hey, my name's Alan. And I'm a mess. <laughs> Welcome to my therapy. I tell my church, I just preach what I need to hear. It's better than paying for a psychiatrist. I just come to church and preach what I need to hear. And I figure somebody else is probably in the same hole too. So this is my therapy. Welcome aboard tonight. I'm getting some help. I hope you do as well. I am the guy who at the church social, I'm over here at my table in the corner with my back against the wall so nobody can't sit behind me. i got a problem with that. And I'm watching everybody just sitting there, minding my own business. And if I wasn't a pastor, I wouldn't ever go talk to any of them. But they expect me to be sociable. And so I wander around and talk and shake their hands. And then when I go home, when I leave here tonight, I'll shut down. It's all I can do emotionally to do that, to put out there. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Can anybody identify with that? Hey, some of you thrive on craziness. The crazier it gets, the more you like it. And you're just pumping crazy into the mix, and it gets weirder and weirder the whole time. You love it. But I'm the opposite. Crazy kills me. Being around people wears me out. And God, talk about a sense of humor. He takes the guy. And I, don't, I don't hate people. I love people. But I just don't want to be around people. It's okay like this because there's space. <laughs> Y'all with me? Plenty of room right here. You say, well, you're weird. I sure am. I could tell you weirder things than that about me, but I'm not going to. It ain't any business. But God excels in taking the weak and the foolish things of this world and using them in extraordinary ways. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27 through 29. Paul says, But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And God has chosen the base things of the world and things which are despised. Yea, hath God chosen and things which are not. Why? Why? To bring to all things that are. And what's his purpose in doing that? That no flesh should glory in his presence. Did you hear what God chooses? Foolish things. Base things. The things that are worth nothing. Oh, 
I think he's talking about us. I mean, if you were God, thank God you're not God. Thank God I'm not God because I wouldn't none of us be here in one moment of anger. That'd be the end of it. It happened a long time ago. About the time Adam walked up and took, uh uh-uh. Nobody, that's it. Good thing I'm not God. Another confession. I don't have road rage. I have eaten from the tree of knowledge of good and evil rage too. But if you and I were God, don't you think we would choose things like us? The good people. The rich people. The powerful people. The people who have good sense, you know. Wouldn't choose a bunch of dumb redneck hillbillies like us. I wouldn't. Yeah, but he did. Right? I mean, he lets me, a little boy raised up in DeKalb County, in Big Wills Valley. He called me to salvation. Then he called me to preach. And I can't understand yet why he did. But I sure do like to do it. That is while I'm doing it, not before, but wow. You say, well, preacher, by telling me that I'm a weak thing and a foolish thing and a despised thing and a base thing, you're not trying to help my self-esteem. No, I'm not. In fact, those verses are not designed to help your self-esteem. They're designed to take the steam out of yourself. And remind you that it's not about you. To remind you that without Jesus, you can do nothing. Remember Moses? We talked about him. 80 years old. God sends him out there. And I mean, he's got a speech impediment. And he is upset about this. And he doesn't want to go and do what God wants him to do. So he argues and 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 argues with God. Read Genesis, or excuse me, Exodus 3 and 4. You'll find out. But God sent Aaron, his brother, out there to Moses. And he said, now, when you boys get down to Egypt, Moses, all you got to do is stand still. And Aaron's going to do the talking. Moses said, sound right, sound right to me. Let's go. That sounds like something I could do. And so they head off down to Egypt. And they walk in front of Pharaoh, and guess what? Aaron is not recorded as saying a single word. Moses walks in there, boom, let my people go, God said. Can't shut him up once he gets down there. God used Esther. She could have been killed for what she did. But God used her in her weakness. God used an unknown boy by the name of David to kill a big old giant. You might have heard of him. God used a beggar by the name of Lazarus to preach a message to a rich man every day. God used the twelve misfits, I mean disciples, to touch the world and get glory under his name. Even Jesus has strikes against him. Now, wait a minute, now you're talking about Jesus, I know. He had negatives in his column, too. Everybody around him thought he was an illegitimate child. They said to him one time, they said, We be not born of fornication. He said, We have one father, even God. They viewed him, others did, as just the son of Mary and Joseph. Some said, well, nobody from Nazareth could save anybody. Somebody said, hey, Christ cannot come out of Galilee. And they made fun of him, and they put him down. And the scribes looked at him, and they said, he hath Beelzebub. And he cast out demons by the power of the devil. But can you deny God used his son? More than any human who ever lived. Right? And regardless of who you are, where you came from, what your situation is in, in your life, what you've done in the past, what problems you may have today, what personality quirks you've got, and you may think you don't, but you do, what's your level of education, what's your level of acceptance by God, and all and all and all, it does not matter. God can and will use you if you will yield yourself to Him.
You see, God has all kinds of people in his service. I know a lot of preachers, and every one of them is strange. Every preacher I know has quirks. And some of them are bad. Some of them can strut sitting down. <laughs> True story. Some have this odd quirk of being the hero of every story they tell. Yeah. Some of them look weird. Some of them act weird. Some of them preach weird. But as long as they're preaching the Word of God, God uses them. Weird. Bunch of weirdos. Every preacher God calls. Me. And Jesse, maybe. On certain days. But I said that to say this. Yield yourself to God, warts and all. And let Him use you like He designed you. You don't have to be perfect. All of your ducks don't have to be in a row. Your socks ain't got a match. You can have on a tie you bought at Woolworths in 1947 and wear it with a seersucker suit and preach in the power of God and the Lord can still bless it. Do you understand what I'm saying? So what if you can't sing like these folk who got up here and sang earlier? Sing anyway. So what if you can't play like these musicians and that dude who, who I, I ain't going to talk about him. That's good, brother. So what if you can't do that? Do the best you can with what you got. So what if you can't preach like Brother Jesse? God didn't call you to be him. He called you to be you. And there are people you can reach he'll never reach because he's not you. What I'm saying is, don't compare yourself and don't look at your, your list of debits and say, well, here's why I can't do what God wants me to do. Look at your list of credits. God saved you by His grace. God filled you with the Holy Ghost. God gave you His Word. And God has commissioned you to serve Him in this world. And my friend, that is all you need to be successful. That's all you need, really. Well, I could say a lot more, but I know what's going to happen if I do. We already missed the nachos. I'll just touch this and be done. God's able to use us in spite of our setbacks. I could go into great detail about this, but 2 Corinthians 12, Paul talks about his thorn in the flesh. And uh, he prays to God, you know the story. He asked God three times to take it away. Now, some of y'all pray one time, if God don't do it, you're done. He prayed three times. That's pretty good. Some of y'all prayed thousands of times. But he prayed three times. And God finally said to him, basically, no. I'm not going to take it away, but my grace will be sufficient for you. Then God added this. He said, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Oh, well, Paul said, you mean to tell me that you're going to get more glory out of me and use me in a greater way if I'm broken than you could if I was whole? Paul said, well, count me in. Therefore, he said, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Point. You don't have to be strong to serve God. What you have to be is dependent, yielded, submitted, surrendered to God's will, not leaning upon your own abilities, but leaning upon His. 
and God will accomplish the work through you. I'm skipping all the good stuff. But some of you, some of you battle depression. You don't talk about it because there's a stigma in the church against people who have depression. It ought not be that way. If there's any place in Jefferson County, Alabama, are we still there? Yeah. If there's any place in anywhere, in any place that I can name, the church is where people ought to be able to be honest without worrying about fear of judgment. But some of you battle depression. Some of you battle addiction. Some of you struggle with sexual sin. Some of you battle loneliness. Some struggle against feelings of inferiority. Some battle memories from your past. Some feel inadequate. Some of you think God can use others, but He can't use you. But you may battle, and you may struggle, and I promise you, if you are saved, you will. I mean, I never had any trouble with sin until I got saved. I didn't. Never had any problem with sin until I got saved. I just sinned all I wanted to, but it wasn't no problem. After I got saved, it suddenly became an issue. It's like somebody didn't want me doing that stuff no more. There was a battle on the inside. If you are struggling... It lets me know you're doing the right things. Because if you're not struggling, I wonder, is your profession real? Because the Bible said when God saved us, He didn't put us on a playground. He put us on a battleground. This is going to be blood and guts all the way home. That's the way it, that's the way it is. Whatever is your particular weakness, whatever your problem is, bring that thing to God because that weakness can be taken by God and turned into a strength. Really can. I don't know. I didn't even say it without, I guess, just use a personal illustration. I don't know how many times I've got up in a pulpit and done what I'm doing right now. Probably well over 6,000 times. Okay? All over the place terrifies me to death even now scares me because i know i don't know how to do this i really don't i don't understand it it's a mystical process i mean it's nothing you know magical it is like i get up here and i'm quite little old me and all of a sudden god comes by and it's like ah you know for 45 minutes and then i don't know how it happens But when God called me, it terrified me. It still does. But the only thing I know to do is do what God's called me to do. And get up and trust Him to do something. To do something with my foolishness and my weakness and my struggle. And I trust Him to do it. Because I don't have a power. I don't have any power in my intellect. I don't have a great education. I don't have a master, of, a master of English grammar and vocabulary. I'm not that guy. I'm not even that smart. But I'll tell you what I am. I'm saved. I'm indwelt by the Spirit of God. I found out reading my Bible, I was His workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus under good works which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. His workmanship. That word comes from the word that gives us our word poem. And it means God's masterpiece. God looks at me and God looks at you. And he said, there's an example of my best work. And he sends us out to serve him in a world that needs him. I just said all that tonight to say this. Yes, God can use somebody like you. The question is, do you want to be used of God? If you do, yield everything to Him. And stand back, because things are going to happen. might amaze you. It might not. But stuff will
If God could use Paul, God can use you. God can use Jesse Carr. God can use you. God can use a dumb old daddy. God can use you. God can use you. Let him. Usually, when I give an invitation, you know, we, we do the thing in Baptist churches in Alabama where we make everybody bow their head and close their eyes. We don't want anybody looking around. And I, I understand why we do that. We never want to embarrass anybody. Um, unless you're my dad. He don't have any problem doing that. But I want everybody's eyes open. I want everybody looking around. And I want to ask you some questions. And if this is you, I want you to put your hand up. How many of y'all tonight are sinners? I'm not saying you lost. I'm saying you got some junk. And it may be junk that is 40 years ago or it might have been junk that was this afternoon how many of y'all come from a screwed up family about half how many how many how many of you wish you had more education than you have How many of you wish you made more money than you make? How many of you have ever looked at somebody else and thought, I wish I could trade places with them? How many of you have ever thought, I wish I could do what that person does? Now, how many of you believe that your sin and your past and your struggle are no obstacle for God's ability to use you. How many of you believe that? That if God can use people like Peter and Moses and Paul and David and on and on and on, God can use you to do something eternal. How many of you believe that? I don't know if there's a secret to usefulness. You read the Bible, there's no prototype, is there? It's not an education, it's not an age, it's not an ability. It seems to me that God uses the people in Scripture. God uses the people who show up. The little boy with five loaves and two fishes, God used him because he was there. We might not have any more to offer him than that, but Lord, here's my little bit. Put it in your hands and do something impossible with it. I'm going to invite you to come tonight. Whatever you've got to offer, good, bad, or ugly, and just say, Lord, I'm willing. I'm willing. I may not be able to do much, but I'm here. Use me however you want to. Use my life. Take it and let it be whatever you want it to be. While they sing this song about how he loved us, just come as an expression of your love for him. Say, Lord, I'm yours.